Wisconsin's true home team is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now featuring savings up to $2,500 off an installed patio door, up to $3,000 off an installed entry door, but only through May 31st. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, so yesterday afternoon, I I was at a, a funeral. It was actually kind of a, it was a celebration of life. I, I told this story before. One of uh, just a wonderful lady. Her name was Betsy, and and Betsy was kind of like a second mom growing up to my wife. And I got to know Betsy over the last six years or so. And the interesting thing was, before Fran and I got together, Betsy was just a huge fan of the program. And we always, when I, people will will be kind enough to come up from time to time, and say I, I'm your biggest fan. Well, Betsy really was one of the the biggest fans. Betsy, um, it it didn't matter. Betsy would yell at me when we took vacation. You know, if I was off, Betsy would be upset that why why are you taking vacation? Betsy just reserved noon to to three, and if you other people would come like visit and stuff, the deal was well. It's great to see you, but I, I'm I'm listening to Jeff. So Betsy was just very very delightful, and I was at the the funeral and the the um and the wake yesterday, and it was so nice to see so many people, and it was really a celebration of life. But one of the the people I ran into. Yesterday, Yesterday at the funeral was my friend Mary. Now I've told the story about Mary before. Uh, about six or seven weeks ago, she became one of the three thousand three hundred plus victims of car thieves, car theft in, in the city of Milwaukee. And you know, several weeks ago, she had gone out to dinner on a Friday night. She had left her car on the street on, on Farwell. Went to the restaurant, comes back that the car is gone. They find the car several hours later. Some punks had stolen it and used it on a joyride, smashed into a fire hydrant, and just caused all sorts of, of damage to this. And I was telling the story because it, it's people, unless you've been a victim of car theft, I, I don't think you, you really understand the, the impact that, that it has. Because, no, it, you're, it's not like somebody puts a gun to your head and steals your vehicle. But at the same time, it, it's a big deal in the fact that you're violated in, in the way that somebody's taken something that belongs to you. But then there's all the, the collateral sort of stuff. Now, my friend Mary doesn't have a second car. Um, and so, you know, you're in a position where, okay, they, they find the car. In her case, uh, the insurance company made the decision that it was going to be repaired. So it, the, the repairs took five or six weeks. And I, I was asking her about this yesterday because I said I ran into her at the, at the funeral. And she was saying, well, I finally got the car back. But it was just it was a it was a nightmare, she said, in that, that the car, was, it took them five to six weeks to repair it. You know, so you got the insurance deductible that's there. She said that the uh, insurance covered a rental car for like 30 days. So a- after that, she's into her own pocket to try to keep the rental car or to borrow a car. And it's just the inconvenience, and it's all this stuff. And it's why for anybody out there who does not realize what a big deal car theft is, all you really need to do is you need to talk to one of the victims of car theft and, and understand that it's it's not a victimless crime understand it's a big deal and understand then how frustrating it is in Milwaukee County that especially when you have juvenile car thieves almost nothing is done to them they're they're slapped on the wrist put back out on the street to go steal other people's cars and again I believe this is one where the 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 
judges and the district attorney's office and some of the chattering class politicians are so far behind the general population when it comes to people just being sick to death of this stuff. And uh, I just I ran the numbers before I started the show today in, in Milwaukee, uh, the city, just the city of Milwaukee. On average, there's approximately 23 cars a day that are stolen. 23 cars a day. Now, the good news, I guess, is that's down. Last year at this time, it was about 24 cars a day. But just imagine 23 cars a day stolen from the streets of Milwaukee. And that's 23 separate victims. And you know darn well that the vast majority of people who are doing this are never held accountable. Which brings me to the story I want to start out with. Um, I've got a link to this story up if you follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. But this is this is something that happened last night. Uh, about 7 o'clock at night in the area of around 107th Street and North in, in Wauwatosa. So picture Mayfair Shopping Center. This happened just a few blocks south of Mayfair Shopping Center in Wauwatosa. There's this residential neighborhood Again, just to the south of Mayfair and just a little bit east of 108th Street and all that. that. A neighbor calls a report in to the police saying that just after 7, there's a a group of these individuals, and I'm assuming it's juveniles, or it could be people who are, are just, you know, over 18, who were wandering through this residential neighborhood. Uh, and, and it's an alley, and they were going through the alley behind the houses, and what they were doing is they were pulling on car door handles. So let's take a step back. What What, what is their, their obvious purpose? They are trying to find out if any of the cards are unlocked. And then, of course, you, you know what's going to happen. If the cars are unlocked, they're going to get in the cars, and they're either going to steal the cars, or alternatively, they're going to rifle through the cars to see if anybody has left a gun in the car or any valuables or anything like that. So you've got this group of people that's going through the alley in this residential area out in Wauwatosa, testing cars' doors to see if they are unlocked or not. One of the residents calls the cops. Cops arrive, and then what happens is everybody runs. They, they start fleeing. And, I mean, the good news is that after they start fleeing, the cops chase. And my understanding is they were able to get six of the people, not all of them, but they were able to get six of this gang of punks who were, were doing this. And um, many of them, what they did is they ran, and they ended up getting caught, and they were arrested on, on Mayfair property. So th- this this they weren't doing this in Mayfair. They were doing this in an alley a few blocks south of it. So now they're arrested. The question, though, is what what do you do with them? Because, believe it or not, now, of course, this is Milwaukee County, and this is the DA's office that doesn't charge people for stealing cars. But so now you have these people that are running through, like pulling up the door handles to see if the cars are unlocked. There's not there's not a, a crime that readily comes to mind. I mean, it, it could be, you know, attempted burglary, I guess, if you wanted to be aggressive. But again, this is the Milwaukee DA's office where when it comes to car theft and things like that, you're, you're typically not aggre- they're not historically uh, aggressive. So maybe it could be attempted burglary. I, I guess maybe it could be viewed as disorderly conduct, maybe. But th- there's not, they're, they're going to be struggling to try to find some sort of a violation for this, yet we all know what was going on there. They were testing these doors to see if 
somebody one was unlocked so they could steal from it. We know that's what was going to happen because otherwise there's no reason in God's green earth that you walk through an alley pulling up the door handles or trying to see if any of these cars are unlocked and then running when the cops show up. Now, interestingly enough, in St. Louis, of all places, they are in the process of trying to put a law on the books. They call it vehicle prowling. And the the mayor right now has been resisting this. But if it were passed, 30 days in jail and a $500 fine for doing this, for vehicle prowling. Now, obviously, you have to have some sort of intent. And if you've got a legitimate excuse, because I don't know about you, my my SUV looks like a million other SUVs on the road. And there have been occasions where in a crowded parking lot, I, I've gone up to a car parked two stalls over and I pulled up the door handles thinking that the car that I'm pulling up the door handle on is mine. And then all of a sudden you look in and go, oh, well, that's not mine. I'm two cars over. So, I mean, no intent there. But it's very clear that if you've got a gang of people who are walking through alleys, they're not looking for their cars. They're pulling up car do- They're pulling open car doors. My belief is with the intent to try to steal something from anything that was unlocked. All right. Should should there be a law that says if you do this, you are again a misdemeanor, thirty days in jail. $500 fine, $1,000 fine, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, vehicle prowling. Should we make it easier to prosecute people for doing what they were doing in Wauwatosa last night? And my answer would be absolutely. If I'm an elected official, where do I go to sign on for something like this? 855-616-1620. Because you know darn well that this wasn't an accidental thing. You know what this group of punks was trying to do. They were trying to find an unlocked car that they could break into. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, to me, this is an absolute no-brainer. If you're just tuning in, last night about 7 o'clock, residential area in Wauwatosa, just a little bit south of Mayfair Shopping Center, there's a bunch of people, don't have the ages yet, but I'm assuming it's kids, but maybe a little bit older, who are heading through an alley. And what they're doing is they're pulling open the car. They're trying to open car doors of all the cars that are parked in the alley, testing cars to see if the doors are locked or not. All right. Well, what what is the only reason that you are doing that as a collective group? You're, you're there to either try to steal the cars or try to steal stuff from inside of, of the cars. I mean, this isn't like you're in a shopping center parking lot and you, you've got a, a silver SUV and you go to the car that's parked three stalls over and you pull up the car latch thinking it's yours because that's a silver SUV. That's not what this is. This is a bunch of kids um, or punks wandering through an alley trying to see if doors are unlocked. Now, the cops show up. They all run. Six of them have been caught. The, the Wauwatosa police have no word on whether or not they're going to be charged. And the problem is there, there's there's not a good charge. I mean, theoretically, you could charge them with attempted burglary. But, I mean, this is the DA's office in Milwaukee County. Come on. Um, and th- that would be a tough prosecution. You could charge them maybe with disorderly conduct. That's a tough prosecution. In St. Louis, they're pushing for what they call a vehicle prowling law, which would make this conduct illegal, make it a misdemeanor subject to up to 30 days in jail. I think it's a great 
idea because there's no reason for doing this. You know what those people were trying to accomplish, and I don't think you should have to wait until they actually find some unlocked car that they're able to get into. Let's prosecute them, and yeah, let's sit them in jail for a couple weeks. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I agree 100% with making vehicle prowling a punishable offense, but like most other criminal laws, I suspect a municipality has no authority to do anything beyond issuing tickets and fines without state legislative law change. I, I all right, let's. I that's fine. Let's put a law on the books. It's it's okay with me. I think people would um, back this, Jeff. I'd back a vehicle prowling law. It might make kids think twice about messing with other people's cars, and the kids wouldn't have run if they were innocent. Well, that that's the other. That, that's the other thing. I mean, if I'm in the parking lot at Mayfair and I mistakenly go to the wrong car and I pull up the, the latch and, it, and then my car's two over and some police officer comes up and says, well, what are you doing? I said, oh, look, silver SUV. There's my silver SUV. Oh, okay, you know that there's no intent. When you run, when you're with a group of people pulling cars in a residential alley trying to see if cars are unlocked, you know darn well what they're trying to do. And, and yes, when you run from the police, that indicates this, that, you know, what your intent is. Jeff, we need to be tougher on smaller crimes to get a hold on criminal issues we have in southeastern Wisconsin. Yeah, this is kind of, to me, it's it's the broken windows type of, of approach. And again, maybe if you have an aggressive prosecutor looking at this conduct, maybe you can fashion disorderly conduct, again, attempted burglary, but you're not going to have that happen. But let's let's find a statute that makes conduct which is clearly illegal let let's give us a basis to to charge the people that are doing this you know this is one of these things just like the theft of catalytic converters that is going through just absolutely through the roof around here where you have people who are so bold that they'll go into other people's driveways and they'll cut the catalytic converter off from under the car and then they'll you know resell it and i, I think there should probably be a law on you know reselling this stuff as well let's talk to todd todd you're on wtmj hey jeff um i was just curious uh don't the police don't they uh stop in by the parents anymore and um at least uh let them know what their uh youngsters are up to uh maybe that maybe that uh would do some good if they can't uh press any charges against these kids well, I, my guess is, Todd, that, that three quarters of the time the parents are part of the problem. You know, it, it's not it's not like when we grew up, where where the biggest fear would be, gee, I've done something wrong, and they're going to call my parents because I'm going to be in a lot of trouble at home. My my guess is most of the time that the the kids that are out doing this, the parents could give a rat's rump about that. But uh, thanks for calling. No, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you, you want to invest the, the parents in this type of stuff. And I, I don't know if they call the parents and say, hey, your kid was running through the, the alley trying to open, you know, car doors and stuff. And may, maybe that would be a little bit of a deterrent factor. But I, again, you know, we, we've seen this with car thefts where you have the, the same kids stealing cars day after day after day. And, and the only recipe is to turn them loose, send them back to mom and dad, who, again, could could care less about what their kids are doing. Uh, Jeff, it's too bad we, not, we need to put another law on the books and that misdemeanor charges wouldn't stick. But if that's the case, Jeff, definitely get the law. Vehicle prowling on the books and enforce it. I think it's a great idea. Jeff, isn't it a crime to run from the police? No, not necessarily. I, I mean, it, you know, just if a police officer just comes upon somebody and 
and you you run, believe it or not, that in and of itself isn't a, a crime. Now, if you're trying to resist arrest or something, that, that could be, but I'm not sure the police were trying to make arrests. I don't know what, if any, charges would come out of this, but it seems to me... You know what those people were trying to do in the alley, and we need to make it as easy as possible for, you know, them to end up, you know, getting charged with stuff. Uh, Jill in Bayview sends me a text. Jeff, might seem somewhat off topic, but it's the very same principle. Um, I live in Bayview, and our neighbors and ourselves have experienced multiple issues where kids are checking all the garages to see if the garages are unlocked, and when approached, they're saying that they live at this residence. Luckily, we continue to watch out for each other, but this has been rampant since March. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that it's the same sort of premise. If you had people that were going door to door and going up to your front door and trying to test it to see if it was open, well, we, we would want... We would want the police to be able to, to come up with some sort of charge for that. In that case, it, it might be trespassing or something. Now, in this case, what happened to Wauwatosa, they're, they're, in an, they're in an alley. The car's parked on a, in the public alley. So I'm not sure you could even fashion a trespassing charge on it. But to me, this is it's vehicle prowling. And we, we need to be able to give the authorities the ability to go after the people because it, you know darn well if those kids or whoever was involved, the punks last night, had found open cars, they were, if any of those doors had opened, they'd be in there and they'd be stealing, if not the car, they'd be stealing whatever was in the car that they could get their hands on. Back with more in just a minute. Waterstone Bank and WTMJ have once again partnered to recognize the heroes in our local community. Please join our very own Steve Scafidi all week as he honors police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others who work every day to protect our families. This week, Steve recognizes five fearless individuals during Hero Week. Tune in every day during the 11 o'clock hour to hear from one of our lucky winners. It's Waterstone Bank's Salute to Service on WTMJ. Uh, as I was mentioning, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. A couple new postings. And um, I, I have a link to this story that we just talked about, the punks that were moving through the residential neighborhood in Wauwatosa trying to see if car doors were unlocked, presumably so they could steal either the cars or steal what was in the cars. And um, this is, to me, this is vehicle prowling, and, and we need a statute. And I, I'm, I'm not one of these guys who's, who's big on laws, but you know what these people were doing, and Though when the cops showed up, they ran away, and the, a number of them have been caught. But I, I'm not really sure what they're going to be able to do. Uh, it, if this isn't a crime, you shouldn't have to try to. I guess you shouldn't have to try to bend some statute to come up with with making this illegal. Let's just make it vehicle prowling. Let's go after it. Also posted a, another um, a, another thing. I I, I there, there's so much political stuff going on and. We, we could spend three hours a, a day doing nothing but talking politics, and that's just not what I choose to make the show about. Obviously, we discuss politics, and that's an important part of the show, but not for three hours a day. But um, the Republican state convention was held last weekend. There were a lot of interesting developments, but one of them is uh, apparently, you know, Ron Johnson has come out, and Ron Johnson has said that he's essentially – um, uh, the number one target by by the media, and that you know he's he's going to be battling the media. The media is against him, and I I, I have a link to the story where he makes this quotation. But also, I kind of shared my thoughts on it. You know, there's this old saying that just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you, and. Well, I, I do believe, and I've said this before in the program, Senator Johnson has brought some of 
the the media wrath on on himself by choosing to you know raise some of the issues he has. There's no question in my mind that you have the media around here that is fully national media and local media pretty much fully aligned with the Democratic Party in an effort to try to you know. Um, unseat Ron Johnson. So, I mean, fairness and objectivity, I think, have completely and totally gone out the window in the coverage of Ron Johnson. Having said that, I'm saying this right now, do not be surprised if he wins anyways. But anyhow, if you want to see my tweet on that, you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. All right. The news today is that FPC Live, which is, it's essentially Live Nation, and, and they're, they are the national promoter that books the shows at, at the American Family Amphitheater. I, I believe they book um, uh, Alpine Valley as well. They wanted to create a concert venue, smaller concert venue in, in the Third Ward, right by Summerfest. And it would have been a venue that, that housed, like, I think, 4,000 people, and there would be a couple different venues, one where you could have like a, the capacity for like 3,500 people and another for like 800. I thought it was perfect for the third ward. What happened is you had some people in the third ward who objected. This is kind of the, the NIMBY approach, the not in my backyard, but they were also buttressed by one of the other theater groups in in town, um, the, the people like the Paps Theater Group, who are responsible for like the Riverside and the Milwaukee Theater and some of the the other venues around, and they argued that no, we we don't need this because Milwaukee essentially can't support another venue like this, and so it, it shouldn't happen. And so ultimately, this group pulled out of the third ward. They said, okay, we're not going to do it. Right after, now follow me on this, right after the, the essentially the Live Nation group, that it's called FPC Live, right after they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to not build in the third ward, then this other group announced last week that they were going to partner with Jim Kaczmarek from Capco, and they were going to build this uh, venue up on like 6th and Wisconsin, where the old Ramada Inn used to be, and it was going to be an 8,000-seat soccer stadium, and it was going to be, surprise, follow surprise, it was going to be a, an entertainment venue that would, I don't know, be able to host concerts of about 3,500 people. I mean, it was exactly the same sort of thing that earlier we had been told, oh, we don't think there's enough demand for that. Oh, okay, well, today... Now, follow the bouncing ball. The announcement was that the group that wanted to build in the third ward is now saying, we've cut a deal with the Bucks, And what we're going to do is we're going to build this venue that we were talking about, but we were going to, we're going to build it in the Deer District. We're going to build it on part of the land that used to be the, the Bradley Center. And we're not asking for public money for this at all. I think the proposal was fifty uh, $50 million. And so that's, you know, that's what we're going to do. We're going to build this here. And so now, instead of having one extra venue that originally some of the local promoters said couldn't support, you know, the, the Milwaukee couldn't support, now there's going to be two additional venues within really a few blocks from each other. One is at the site of the old Bradley Center, and one will be at the site of the old downtown Ramada Inn off of 6th and Wisconsin, you know, just a couple blocks away. Then you're going to have all the other venues that you have as well. You've got Summerfest 
and Summerfest has, of course, the American Family Amphitheater, but you've also got the BMO Harris facility, you know, the outdoor venue there. You've got the Milwaukee Theater, which is the old Milwaukee Auditorium, which is just has been grossly underused since that was renovated. Then you've got the Rave, and then you've got uh, the Riverside, and then you've got the Paps Theater, and then, of course, you've got Pfizer Forum for some of the the larger uh, events, and you've got a myriad of other facilities as well. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I want to be really clear here. I am all in favor of, of these new facilities opening up. I think I'm a free market guy. I'm big on competition. And I think it's great that you have these venues that are out there. I question whether or not our city, our region, I question whether or not we are large enough and given where we are in the economy and things like that, whether we can continue to support these different venues. And I'll be honest with you, I'm very, very skeptical that when you have this facility that they're talking about on the site of the Bradley Center, which is essentially going to be the same. I mean, it's going after the same type of acts as the facility that they want to put up on, on 6th and, um, on 6th and, and Michigan there. It's, these are essentially duplicate sort of facilities. I'm not sure that there's enough business to support one of them. I highly doubt whether there's enough business to support two of them, or if you support those two, it seems to me it's got to come at the expense of some of the other entertainment venues we have around here. But nevertheless, I'm all in favor of it, especially since, as far as I can tell, so far nobody's talking about wanting public money to do it. That maybe changes the equation. But if you've got private investors that want to put tens of million dollars into building these facilities and they think they can make it go, that that that's great. Build them. And then let the people decide where they want to go. And if that means that one venue fails, one of the new venue fails, or one of the existing venues gets driven out of business, well, that, that's, that's kind of the free market. But I do think the fundamental question is, can we, by we I mean this, this region, not just the city of Milwaukee, not Milwaukee County, but this region, do, do we have too many entertainment venues? And can we support two more without seeing it adversely affect some of the existing venues. And again, I, if that's if, if that's what happens, that that's what happens. I'm not arguing that you shouldn't go ahead and build these things. I'm just saying I just don't see, I don't see the demand. I don't think we're big enough to keep building these different entertainment venues. 855-616-1620. Can, can we support two more venues for entertainment. Are there enough bands that we're going to be able to bring in? Is there enough disposable income out there to support these venues? And and what is the entertainment world going to look like around here three or four years from now? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So now we have competing venues within a few blocks of each other. The announcement today that um, for $50 million, we'll call it the FPC Live venue. That's a partner with the Milwaukee Bucks. It's going to be on the Bradley Center site. It doesn't take up the whole site, but it's going to be an entertainment venue, multi-level complex, 4,000-person capacity room with an 800 and an 800-capacity room, 
both will be primarily ballroom style with limited seating. So it's not there's not going to be a lot of reserved seating. This is pretty much the same as the venue that they're talking about up on 6th and Michigan, where the old Ramada Inn used to be. And that's going to be an 8,000-seat soccer stadium, and it's going to be an entertainment venue that's going to be about the same size, and it's going to be ballroom-style seating. So it's it's two competing venues within a, a few blocks of each other in downtown Milwaukee, and I'm all in favor of it. My only point is I do not understand. I just don't think this this area is big enough to support these two new venues in addition to all the other existing venues that we have. Um, you know, one of our you know, texters saying, how many venues does Milwaukee need? They will not all survive. No, I, I think that that's. I think that that's apparent. I just I don't think that they can all survive. I don't think that there's enough entertainment dollars and enough demand for entertainment to book all these venues on a continuous basis. Okay, the Milwaukee Theater, which is the old Milwaukee Auditorium that we spent stupid money renovating, I don't know if it's fair to say it's a ghost town, but I remember last week I, I looked and as far as like entertainment acts between now and the end of the year, excluding graduations and stuff like that, there there's I, I thought I counted nine. There there could be ten or eleven. But I mean in, in between now and the end of the year, it, it's essentially it's not completely vacant, but it's close enough to being vacant for government work. And so if how is an event as a location like that going to survive? It, it's already not drawing uh, enough entertainment acts to to really be viable so how is something like that going to survive now again i'm a free market guy so if it's if that's end up if places go under okay that they end up going under now some of these places though have been supported by taxpayer dollars 855-616-1620 i mean you've got concerts at the the old arena now the uw panther arena you've got the bemo harris facility and um, the american family amphitheater down at summerfest you've got all the other locations that are there i just i just don't see how all these can work james on the south side james you're on wtmj yeah, um, Jeff. Um, what about uh, since it's on, on Michigan down there? Why not uh, Marquette and maybe UWM uh, using that thing? That's uh, what you were talking about, where the hotel was, and maybe uh, use that for, like you said, that soccer stadium and a bunch of events for their their college and that. Uh, they're always looking for uh, a place or stuff to uh, do on their on their university and that. Well, I'm, for, for, well, I mean, thanks for to call stuff James. Like that at, well, I mean, thanks to I mean, well, well, Marquette, I think, is going to play soccer there. I don't know about UWM, but I mean, I, I think they're going to use that. But I'm, I'm more, and that's the eight thousand seat soccer stadium, which people can discuss. You know, wh- whether or not we can support, whether or not there's enough interest to in in a minor league soccer team, and that's going to be the principal use to support an eight thousand seat stadium. I, I I'm skeptical about that too, but you know, time will tell. But the one of the key components of that is you're also going to have this entertainment venue that's attached to it. And now today the announcement is we're going to have a second entertainment venue within just a couple blocks that are essentially going to be duplicative of each other. I just, I, I just don't see it. Now, a couple of people are talking about how, you know, some of the venues that are out there now, some of the existing venues are, well, the word that's being used charitably is dumps. And I, I think there's an, I think there's a element of that, but uh, some will fail. 
And there, there's no question that if you look at what the entertainment landscape's going to look like, I think, you know, in, in the just a couple years from now, if these things both do, in fact, open up, it's going to look markedly different in places that you've been used to going. Um, they're not going to be there. Jeff, I believe they will do just fine. People will travel all over from southeast Wisconsin for a show. I have traveled all the way to Oshkosh from Racine for a venue. Some people will, in fact, travel. No question about it. Is it enough? And are there enough acts that are out there that can fill a 3,000-seat ballroom on a regular basis to make it worthwhile, especially when you've got all these other venues that are already in existence. I'm just telling you, I just don't see any way in the world that all this works. I mean, the people that were behind the the Paps Theater Group that's behind the the place on on 6th and and Michigan, I mean, they were arguing, hey, there's not enough business right now to support another 3,500-seat venue. Well, okay, now they want to build a 3,500-seat venue, and this other group wants to build a 3,500-seat venue. Hope it all works out. I'm skeptical. All right, now a fair question would be to say, okay, Jeff, if you don't think the the downtown concert scene can support two essentially identical facilities that are going to be going after the, the same sort of music along with all the other facilities that we already have in town, which one of the two do you think is most likely to succeed? And my guess, my guess would be it's the FPC uh, uh, operation that they're talking about building next to Fiserv. I mean, first of all, you've got the Deer District, which is already developing itself as an entertainment district. You've got all sorts of built-in parking that's around that area area. You've got the the brewery district, which is, you know, right right next door to that. You've got the parking structures. You've got the bars and restaurants. You've got the infrastructure that already exists to serve Fiserv Forum. And you've got the businesses along Third Street that, you know, historically existed to serve the Bradley Center. So you've got that infrastructure there, and people are used to coming down to that area. So my guess is that that's that location has an inherent advantage over whatever they're going to do on 6th and Michigan, where they're, they're going to have to create, I think, maybe some development around that. Um, bars, restaurants, whatever, they're going to have to figure out parking. They're going to have to make it something other than a destination in and of itself. So if you were asking me to predict which location I think is more likely to succeed, it, it would be next to Fiserv in the Deer District. Could be wrong. Just my take on it. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I was looking through my um, emails over the the last uh, few minutes, and I, I have one from Milwaukee World Festival, Summerfest, and they're announcing that they're, they're, they're hosting a, a job fair May 26th, a couple days from now, from 4 until 7 p.m., looking to continue to hire seasonal workers for the, the festival season, which runs like from now through through October, and it includes the nine days of Summerfest. Now, working at Summerfest is, is a great gig. I mean, it, it, it just is. And at least when I was a kid, it was a very, very in-demand sort of job. You know, you're you're paid comparatively well. 
Um, it's a limited sort of thing. But to, and again, I don't know how many they've already hired. But to, to give you an idea of, of what they're trying to do to even get people to come down and apply for jobs, and there's a variety of jobs. If you're looking for something to do, security, admissions, food and beverage operations, facility and ground operations, guest services, I mean, everything you need to do to have people to, to put on a festival, um, they're already, um, this is the deal. If you go down, attend, show up at the job fair from 4 to 7, apply for a job, and interview They'll give you one free ticket to Summerfest plus a free sub sandwich and chips. I mean, so that that just I, I bring this up because it shows the the degree that employers are going to try to get the seasonal employees. I mean, because like I say, back in the day, getting a job at Summerfest was. You wouldn't have to give somebody a free ticket and a sandwich and chips to get people to come down to apply. It would be, where do I go to sign up to to get a job working at at Summerfest if you didn't have another job during the summer? So if you're looking for something, I would encourage you to go down there. They're they're a great employer. It's a great place to work. But but the problems, obviously, Summerfest is having, and my guess is the story is no different at the Wisconsin State Fair, and it's no different with a lot of employers in general and seasonal employers in particular. But the story that really caught my attention, um, it's being reported in multiple sources, is for the third straight year, no lifeguards at Milwaukee's Bradford Beach. And what's going on is despite the fact that they have been recruiting for, for the better part of six months, Despite the fact that they have upped the pay for lifeguards, it now starts at a little bit over 16 bucks an hour, and depending on your certifications and your experience, you can make up to $22 an hour. Um, they only they, they want to hire. Milwaukee County would like to hire 200 lifeguards. That's kind of the, the goal. They only have about 30%. So as we're, we're coming into the, the, the season— they're, they're they're only at thirty percent of what they would would like. Um, this time last year, they had about eighty lifeguards on staff, and this time apparently they're they're about twenty lifeguards short of that. They cannot get people who are willing to be lifeguards. They, they just can't. And it, it's it's not a problem, by the way, that, that's unique to Milwaukee County. You know, Waukesha has that as well. But as the result of this, no lifeguards at uh, Bradford Beach, no lifeguards at Grant Park in South Milwaukee, no lifeguards at Doctors Point in Fox Point. Um, and then for some of the, uh, the, the, the pools, apparently, you know, they're, they're going to be closed as, as well. So they just don't have enough lifeguards to staff them, despite the fact that they have been, again, aggressive in trying to find people who will be willing to to do this job. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I understand that being a lifeguard is, I mean, it requires uh, some skill over and above just walking in off the street and, for example, working at the counter at a fast food restaurant. I, I get that, and that's not to demean what people do at the counters at fast food restaurants because, first of all, you, you need to be able to swim, and secondly, you need to be able to pass a, a certification for the particular job. But there's a lot of people out there who, number one, can swim, and number two, would have the ability to pass the certification who 10 or 15 years ago, once again, if if this was available 
during the summer, this would have been an extremely desirable job. It's an important job. There's no question about it. But, I mean, at the same time, you're, you're outside, you're getting a suntan, you— you know, when when it becomes a stressful situation, it's an incredibly stressful situation. But for a lot of people, again, when I was growing up, this would have been, if you were a swimmer, this would have been an incredibly attractive job. And now, if they're talking about paying sixteen to twenty-two bucks an hour, you would think that that would be something that would have at least attracted some interest from the kids that are on the swim teams in high school and and things like that you would think that this would be a natural progression and yet that they they they've only got 60 lifeguards that in all of Milwaukee County 855-616-1620 that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line i guess my my question is what's up and i mean is it is it money is it if instead of starting at 16 bucks an hour, you started at 20 bucks an hour or something like that? If you did that, would that make a difference? Is it money? Is it that kids just don't want to work? Is it the nature of the work? Why is it that we can't find lifeguards? 855-616-1620. I've got a number of theories, but if, if you or your kids were lifeguards growing up, you know what, what what's changed why won't people do this particular job? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, once again, Bradford Beach, big beach in, in Milwaukee, That's they're not going to have lifeguards. A number of the other Milwaukee County beaches aren't going to have lifeguards. A number of the indoor pools are going to either be closed or operating on limited hours because they, they can't find lifeguards. They'd like to have 200 lifeguards in Milwaukee County alone. They, they, have, they have about 60 right now. So they've got around 30% of the lifeguards they like, and they've been actively recruiting for six months. They have fewer lifeguards this year, same time this year, than they did at the same time last year when, when they had about 80, which wasn't close to being enough. They've raised the the starting pay for potential lifeguards. It, it's 16 bucks an hour, a little bit north of that to start. You can make up to 22 bucks an hour, which doesn't strike me as being bad money. Now, I understand that, first of all, there's there's some qualifications. You've got to be able to swim. And secondly, you've got to pass the certification courses. But, you know, once you do that, they're, they're, they're begging to have you. And again, I just remember when I was a kid, being a, a lifeguard, that was another one of these gravy kind of summer jobs. And by gravy, I mean it was a sought-after, desired sort of position. I'm not saying that anybody can do it. I don't swim that great. There's no way that I could have passed the certification. So it wouldn't have been for me. But if, if you are a swimmer, if you're on some high school swim team, for example, seems to me that this this would be a great place to make some, some money during the summer. Jeff, back when Atwater Beach um, was still wooded, another story, Shorewood had so many life guard applicants that they didn't know what to do with them all. 855-616-1620. What's going on? Jeff, I think the problem is young people these days don't want to get out of their parents' basement because they have everything provided for them. There is no reason for them to get a a job. Um, Jeff, with society hair-triggered to sue at the drop of a hat and folks, um, let's see, maybe being a lifeguard holds too many risks um, at all. Well, maybe there's an element of that. Uh, Jeff, kids today are so preoccupied with taking selfies of themselves, they don't have much time to 
do a job. Um, Jeff, I guess since being a lifeguard requires so much more training than working another easier job um, that can also have more pay. Also, this is an era of lawsuits. Lifeguards can be found liable for injury or wrongful death. I mean, I I don't know. I don't think the typical 16-year-old is is thinking about that. Gee, that if, I, if I'm a lifeguard, I can get sued for this or that or the other. Jeff, part of the problem is for two years, there was no place that did lifeguard certification or recertifications. My daughter was certified in 2019. Certification lasts two years. She had to get it renewed last spring, but there was no place that offered it in the entire state. Jeff, I would not want my child working at Bradford Beach, not because of the pay um, or the actual job, but I would be worried about the chance of violence happening there. I think it's a a shame. Um, Well, there's an element of, I guess there's an element of that as well. Jeff, is it possible that swimming as an activity has lost interest? Well, it might have lost interest with some people, I guess, but my response would be, To to me, like I say, if if you were into swimming and you were on on a high school swim team or something like that, this would be the the natural sort of job that you would kind of gravitate to. And if they're paying 16 bucks an hour, that's a good start. Now, I I guess – I, what I wonder is, if you paid 18 bucks an hour, would that really make any difference? And I guess my, my indication is probably no. For some reason, people aren't attracted to this particular job. Let's start with Jim. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Jim. You're on the air. Good afternoon. Jim. Jim, Jim, yeah. Jim. Go ahead. What's yeah. on your mind? All right. Um I'm calling from uh, up in the north side of Milwaukee. I was a lifeguard back <laughs> back in the 60s, so that's a long time ago. Um, I was on the swim team uh, in, in high school, and, uh, you know, it was kind of a thing of prestige to, yeah. to get to be a county lifeguard. So, you know, you applied. You would usually almost had to always be a senior, 17, 18 years old. And what it was... For me, in a lot of ways, it was kind of interesting because it was unlike any other job I'd had up to that point, cutting, you know, yard lawns and stuff. It was it was a there's a kind of a military um, framework to it. You've got to wear their uniforms. You've got to show up on time. You've mm-hmm. got to clean up your area. Uh, you have to take orders. You get mm-hmm. you get uh, biweekly reviews. Um, it's an important job. Yeah. And it may be a it may be more of a step than some kids are willing at that age to do. I'm just talking some kids, not all kids. But um, I've always had uh, pride in the fact that I was one, and I know a lot of my friends that were lifeguards too. We still talk about it. It yeah. was a it was a great job for the summer, and you got to meet a lot of people. Yeah, no, th- no, thanks. For, I, and I think that's, I mean, I've got a text that makes that point. It, um, Ken texts, Jeff, lifeguarding used to be the best job a guy could get. Sitting around, getting paid, seeing lots of beautiful girls in swimming suits. Guys used to fight over the job. I guess young men just inter- aren't interested in young girls anymore. No, it's, it's not that. But I, I think it's, here, we'd rather hang out at the pool necessarily than than work at the pool. Now, I do think the job has changed a little bit. I think, you know, one of the one of the deals is that 
I, I don't know that it's viewed necessarily with the same prestige as, as Jim was talking about. It, it, I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but I think in, in some cases you hear these horror stories about it's not necessarily being a lifeguard, but what you're being is essentially a babysitter where you have some parents who, like at a county pool, dump their kids off at the county pool and then kind of disappear, and you're you're dealing you're dealing with unruly children that are running around the pools or at the beaches or whatever. And in many respects, you're not just the lifeguard, you're a glorified, you're a glorified babysitter, not to again demean babysitters or things like that. But that appeal kind of, um, you know, that appeal kind of goes down. Jeff, some of the public does not respect people in positions of authority. Some clientele treat lifeguards like babysitters, as you're saying, for children who are disrespectful and won't listen to directions. The world is not like it when we were kids. I don't believe this is a good job for teens and young adults anymore. Um, well, that's, you know, that's... That's the problem. Jeff, I think they need to develop lifeguards from early teens, offer classes, and help them get certified. Yeah, I, I, well, I think to an extent they've been, they've been trying to do that, but yet it's, it's, not attracting, it's, it's not attracting enough people. And look, I mean, maybe part of it is that this is – I understand this is not unique. You know, businesses all over cannot find people. You can't find part-time people. You can't find full-time people. It's just for whatever reasons, people, and in many cases, particularly young people, are deciding that, you know, they don't want to do it. And maybe for whatever reasons, being a lifeguard has become less attractive now when you can say, okay, I, I can start at 16 bucks an hour as a lifeguard, but you know what? I can I can work fast food, for example, not to knock fast food, but I can, you know, I can make 14 or $15 an hour at, at the fast food place or, you know, working a register at a grocery store or whatever, 855. And I don't, and I don't have to put up with, you know, babysitting out of control kids that have been dropped off. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to um, Chris. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Chris. Chris, Chris, Chris. Okay, lost Chris. 855-616-1620. Jeff, uh, nowadays it's a babysitting job. Um, That's it. Jeff, my son is trying to return as a lifeguard at Regner... Beach in in that's in West Bend, um, but the lack of lifeguards. Um, but due to a lack of lifeguards, that may happen as Regner is currently deciding if they should fill the pond and allow people to swim at their own risk. It's really too bad right now for those kids who want to be a lifeguard, but if if he he might not be able to. Yeah, which is again part of the problem that, that's out there. That, Again, the municipality is saying, okay, we'd we'd like to have the staff with lifeguards, but if we need X number of people that are going to be in the workforce and we can't get close to that, are we better off just simply coming in and saying, all right, we'll we'll just put up the signs to say it's not going to work? Let's talk to Erin. Erin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. I'm a truly avid swimmer. I've swum, swum swam my whole life and we do have the lifeguard issue out here in Watertown too and as a matter of fact I just emailed our superintendent last week asking if she could um, consider offering lifeguard training as a credit 
class at the high school because um, a couple of our older lifeguards, that's how they had uh, older swimmers who had been lifeguards when they were young. That's how they got their certification was through the high school. And that might attract kids. The other thing we did here in Watertown, I, I know pay is a big deal. I hear about it all the time. I'm wondering if there's some foundations out there that would be willing to um, give some money to, like, the park and rec to help get um, uh, lifeguards. I know a foundation a few years ago had given money to our park and rec to pay for the certification mm-hmm. class because the class can be expensive. Do you think so, it would make any difference? I mean, if, if I guess... So they start at 16, and they go up to 22 for the people who have some experience. If they upped it to, to let's say, 18 bucks an hour, do you think that would make any difference? Because I, I, I kind of think the issues might be beyond money, but that's just me. It could, it could be, because I think the lifeguards we have now would be lifeguards anyway. Yeah. And I think they wish they would make more money. What's happened out here, because I've talked to various pools in our area, somebody needs to break out. We're all about 10 bucks an hour, and if somebody in Waterloo or Jefferson would just say, okay, we're going to start paying our lifeguards 12 bucks," I think everybody would jump on board, but nobody's taken that leap yet. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. Interesting. And again, I, I kind of, I, I wonder, and I'm wondering out loud, whether it's, it's the money or whether it's the nature of, of the work. And I understand being, like I said, being a lifeguard is much more difficult than like some of the other jobs where you can just walk in off the street and after you know an hour they, they can teach you how to work you know they, they can teach you how to work a cash register or, or whatever and I mean obviously don't want to say that those are easier jobs but being a lifeguard you need to have all that training I don't know but this is a huge problem and in the case of Milwaukee County they've been working for months and months and months to try to recruit and find lifeguards and they have failed miserably and I don't say that in a negative way well I say it in a negative way because they failed miserably but I think they've been actively trying they only have, they want 200 lifeguards they only have 60 and it's getting worse they had 80 this time last year wow Wow. So, so, Janie, I had one of these stick my fingers in my ears. And I, I just don't want to hear moments o- over the weekend. Monkeypox. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just It's like, okay, I, I understand we're, we're, we're dealing with COVID for all the, these years and stuff, and, and we're not over that. And then I, I'm looking at the New York Times has this story yesterday. Everybody sh- should be concerned about monkeypox, Biden warns. Um, and I'm like, I just, I, I can't deal with this. <laughs> you know, it's like... I will say this, the one thing that sets the monkeypox aside from COVID is that there are physical manifestations of this disease. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, it looks nasty. It, it looks terrible. And unfortunately, and I have said this from the beginning of COVID, if we had had boiling sores on our faces at the beginning of COVID, I think a lot more people would have gotten vaccinated. And taken it. Yeah. So it's, I mean, but I'm looking at the story. Um, President Biden raised the alarm on Sunday about monkeypox, a viral infection fast spreading around the world and warned, warned the disease, which can easily be spread among handling a contaminated object, is something that everybody should be concerned about. Well, he's probably, now the one good... Not to, not that there's any good thing about monkeypox, right. but the it's it doesn't appear to be a fatal virus. It looks no, like it it's doesn't. incredibly. You don't want it. You don't want anything to do with no, it. No, and from what I understand, it can last from two to four weeks. Yeah, you don't want it, but at least it, it doesn't appear to be fatal at this point. But it's kind of like, oh, just give me a break. Can, can we just have like one season where we're, we're, let's get past COVID, however we get past COVID? Can we just stall monkeypox for a year? Now, or germs something are like going to get us in the end. <laughs> That's it. That's, they will. It's just one, they're, they're one too way. adaptable. 
Monkeypox. All right. No, we're not talking about monkeypox when we come back. Um, how old is too old? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Gee, I guess that hysteria wasn't warranted after all. Tomorrow, there is the, in the state of Georgia, there's a couple, several contested primaries. They have their primary election day, and it's one of the races that are is being watched very, very closely. Herschel Walker, the former, you know, all-world football player, he, in all likelihood, will be the Republican uh, when the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate, and so he'll he'll be running in the fall against one of the guys that that got in um, during the special election right after the the last election, early 2021. Um, the, the a lot of people are watching it because the the Georgia governor Kemp who has been you know, targeted by uh, former President Trump. Remember, Georgia was one of those states where President Trump thought that, gee, if you can only switch X number of votes, you know, he would really win, and there was this huge push that you need to do this and that and the other thing. And Governor Kemp, Brian Kemp, just bucked Trump. And he said, look, no, we're not going to do that. The elections were run fine. There is no problem. I can't do this. And so that incensed former President Trump, who went out and, and recruited the former um, U.S. Senator Purdue, who had lost in the runoff election, recruited him to run for governor. And by all indications, Purdue is going to just get stomped. I mean, just get absolutely stomped. And, and Brian Kemp will, will go on to be the Republican nominee for governor. But the, the interesting thing is, if you will remember, Georgia was one of those states where you had, uh, the, after the election, they passed a series of, of laws which uh, Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams, who was the woman who lost for governor a few years back, they, they, they called it the Election Integrity Act. And Joe Biden said, this, this is nothing but Jim Crow number two and, and 2.0. And Stacey Abrams accused its authors of reviving Georgia's dark past of racist voting laws. The If you will remember, it was this law that caused Major League Baseball to move its all-star game out of Atlanta, hurting a lot of black-owned businesses in one of the really stupid moves of the last couple years. But the predictions were, oh, this is, this is going to be terrible. You know, it's going to suppress the vote. It's going to be just absolutely awful. Well, you know, never mind. This was a law that imposed new identification requirements for those who casted ballots by mail, making sure that they were who they said they were. It curtailed the use of drop boxes and some absentee ballots, and it it sort of eliminated some of like the events like we had here, like the democracy in the park thing. Well, okay, so you've got this election that's tomorrow. Voting is surging in Georgia. Um, so the, the, this argument that, okay, this is, th- this is awful, but after three weeks of early voting ahead of the primary tomorrow, record-breaking turnout, record-breaking turnout is undercutting all these predictions that, oh, this is going to be terrible and these people won't be able to vote. Get this, by the end of the day on last Friday, which was the final day of early in-person voting, nearly 800,000 Georgians had cast ballots, more than three times the number in 2018, and even higher than in the 2020, a presidential election year. So for all this hand-wringing and this angst about, oh, these different laws that we're going to pass are just terrible and it's going to deny people the right to vote and all that sort of stuff, 
Well, never mind, because (laughs) the absentee voting is running ahead of where it was even in the presidential year of 2020, which proves, I think, a point that many of us were making. You you had Joe Biden out there, and I understand he's he's calling it Jim Crow 2.0 because it helps him raise money and it helps him excite the base. But when you look at the reality of what they did— it was not that big a deal, and it certainly hasn't suppressed voting. And I think, you know, what you're having see in Georgia is pretty much the same thing that you would see in Wisconsin if we codified or made clear what is already in the law with regard to some common sense measures to, again, balance people's right to access to the polls with the the idea that we need to make sure that the people who are voting are legitimately, in fact, able to vote. But all this talk about Jim Crow and all these other things, well, never mind, didn't work out. And I think a lot of the people that were spouting this, I think they knew that what they were saying was a bunch of you-know-what, a bunch of hooey when they were saying it, but since it advanced their political aims, they went ahead and said it anyways. All right, when we come back, how long is too long? It's happening to someone right now, and there's a chance it could be someone you know. We're talking about domestic violence. And this week on Wisconsin's radio station, WTMJ's Alex Crow investigates three different tragedies that happened right here in the Badger State. How they happened and how incidents like these can be prevented in the future. Tune in every day on Wisconsin's morning news at 550 and Wisconsin's afternoon news at 335. The stories that matter to you on News Radio WTMJ. Okay, I, over my lifetime, at least since I've been in a position where I could kind of afford to do some of these things, I would say typically I have kept my cars somewhere around five to six years. That That's normally been the time when I started to look to trade in the vehicle and, and, and get a, a newer newer car. And I guess part of it is, I don't put an enormous number of miles on a car, but, you know, five or six years, a lot of times you're talking about, for me, it's like 70, 80,000 miles, that that sort of thing. And my experience has been that it's around that point in time where the warranty's gone and, and stuff starts to need to be replaced. Uh, the air conditioner has gone out. You, you need new brakes. You know, it, it's – and I, I, I like to think that I, I maintain a car pretty well. But generally, there, there's a certain point in time where I start to find that stuff starts to go wrong. And so just for me, five or six years is typically the time where I'm, I'm looking at, okay, maybe it's time to trade the car in, get the newer car, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's historically been the case. The average age – of vehicles on the U.S. roadways, the new numbers are out for 2021. The average age, so how long is the, how old is the average car? The average car. Now think about a number in your mind. Do, 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 do. In 2021, the average age of a vehicle on the U.S. roadway, and we're talking about passenger cars, SUVs, things like that. The average age 12.2 years, 12.2 years. That's average. So that means, you know, for every car that's five years old, you know, you've got a car that's 20 years old that's still on the roadways. That number has been going up and up and up. It's been increasing for at least the last five years. And the, the average, it's increased more dramatically 
over the last couple years. And I was thinking about this because just in my, my personal situation, I, the, the car that I am driving right now is in the category of, okay, this would normally, it's five years old, like a 2017 car that's got 75,000 miles on it. This is, and it's probably ready for, for new brakes. It's getting to that point. Just put some money into it not that long ago because the air conditioning system had gone out. But I, I'm sitting there thinking under normal situations, I would probably be looking to trade the car in and and get a get a new car. That's what I would normally do. But I've sort of in the back of my mind, I've kind of made this decision that you know what? I, I think I'm going to put the money in. The car still runs well. Um, no major problems with it. I, I'm think sitting there thinking, you know, I can easily get you know another. I can easily get another couple years out of of this car. And given the fact that you can't find new cars on the market, on the dealers anymore, given the fact that the prices for new cars have gone through the roof, and even understanding that you can get more than a trade for a trade-in now than you could probably at any time in history, still, if I'm going to replace the car, yeah, I get more for my trade-in, but it's also going to cost me a lot more to, to buy the car, to buy the new car. So I've kind of made this decision, at least in the back of my mind, that, you know, unless Unless I really see this great deal on a new car in the next, you know, six months or so, I'm going to try to figure out how do I get, you know, how can I get another couple years out of the, the this car? So even for somebody like me who normally, you know, five to six years, I'm sitting there thinking, well, if I can keep this car for another two or three years, um, eight or nine years— it's it's I'm going to come out ahead in the long run, and even that's not close to the average of 12 years. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you made the decision to keep your vehicle longer than you would otherwise? And if so, why? Is it the cost of the new car? Is it the lack of availability of the new car? Is it the fact that, you know, cars do last a lot longer if you maintain them um, now than maybe they did 20 years ago? Are you keeping your car longer? And if so, why? 855-616-1620. For me, it's, yeah, I'm keeping my car longer. And it's it's really all of the above. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Bill in Racine County. Bill, good afternoon. Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Six months ago, I bought my wife a 1998 Blazer. Chevrolet Blazer. Uh-huh. And uh, 88,000 miles. Mm-hmm. And mileage. I put $3,000 in it so far. And it runs like a top. Okay. So, the heck with the used car dealerships <laughs> and the new car dealerships, and she's happier. She's happy. Well, that's okay. That's the Bill. Thanks to call. That's that's the important thing. Happy wife, happy life. You know, that's what we always say. And, and you know, you found a low mile. You found a 1988 car with you know 88,000 miles on it. I guess the, you know, the the question becomes: At what point? Do you make the decision if if you like for example okay my car twenty that I'm talking about it's 2017 so and it's 75,000 miles or something if if all of a sudden I was looking at and I'm not but if I was looking at some at, at a repair of three or four grand then you start you know doing the mental math about whether it it's worth it or not let's talk to Gary Gary you're on WTMJ good afternoon. 
Hi, how are you this afternoon? Well, thank you. Okay, what what's your standard for when you buy a new car? Well, let's put it this way. I'm 82 years old. My car is six years old. <laughs> it's got 68,000 miles on it. And I expect to go another five or six years <laughs> because I maintain my vehicle. Yeah. It doesn't make any difference that I have to have a brand new car. What's that? I get from point A to point B with my car. Yeah. So why should I spend thousands and thousands? Yeah, That's I. Crazy. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, see, Gary, some I, I'm not really a car. I mean, some guys are are car guys. Some gals are are car car gals. You know, and and they they want. Stuff. For me, I, I look at a car as, as sort of transportation. I mean, I want it to be nice, and I don't want it to break down or things like that, but I kind of view it as transportation. I guess I understand I understand the that point, and, and clearly more people are, are like you. There, there's no doubt about it. I think partly because it, again, new cars are so expensive. It's tough to find new cars, as we've talked about with the supply chain shortage that's out there. And I think more and more people are making the the decision that, hey, at least for the time being, until things get better, until uh, the availability of new cars increases, what we're going to do is we're going to try to to maintain our old cars. Jeff, I've got a 2015 Explorer with 122,000 miles on it. It runs great. And yes, I'm not going to buy a new one um, with these ridiculous pricing. And again, I I understand that, especially if you can get by without having to do anything other than what I would describe as the routine maintenance. Now, my guess is if you've got a car with 122,000 miles on it, you, you've had to replace the brakes and the tires and things like that from somewhere along the ride line. But as long as you're you're happy with the car. Jeff, a year ago, we bought a 2014 Jetta, which was a new car for us. We've decided to put some money into our 1992 Camry and keep it running. I've had uh, numerous friends who offered to buy it from me, and it will kill me to watch them drive it around off for a couple more years if we just decide not to keep it for themselves. Well, I guess the bottom line of all this is if you're one of those people that's making the decision to keep cars longer and longer, you are you are with the majority of folks because that's the dazzling detail. The average age of a car on the road today years old. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I hope I have not inadvertently offended a few dozen of you. I, I, I... during during the break, I was we were talking in the last segment of the program about um, it, keeping cars for longer periods of time, and, and we were just I, I, I would say, well, two to three dozen people texted in on the text line just with their stories about how that's precisely what what they were doing and different reasons why they were keeping their cars longer or whatever, and I, I just I wanted to acknowledge that, so I, I just I, I was sending out. The emoji, which is the thumbs up emoji. Now, I, I I do look at the thumbs up emoji, and and it is thumbs up. In other words, you know, good good job. I'm, I'm you know, etc. I, I agree, but it it looks just because of at least the emojis that I have access to that that thumbs up is you know mysteriously or it's suspiciously close to the middle of the hand. And so, in some respects, I guess you could glance at it and say, huh. 
Is is that the thumbs up or is there something different? Well, if anybody wonders, I'm trying to send the thumbs up emoji. I'm not trying to send another message or anything like that with with people's hands. But that's the one that I'm using. But I appreciate the input. All right. Joe Biden. Joe Biden made headlines in the last day or so by saying that the U.S. would respond militarily to defend Taiwan if China tries to take it by force. All right. Now, let, let's back up here for, for for a second. We, you know, after... After World War II, essentially, what what happened is there was a civil war in China, and mainland China, which is the the communist Chinese, Mao Zedong, etc., and then there there was a spinoff, and you had the the Chinese government um, on Taiwan, the island of Taiwan, and it's been that way ever since. And when we talk about you know China, we, we, you've got national China, which is the the huge land mass, and then you've got the island of of Taiwan. Uh, the U.S. for years and years and years didn't recognize nationalist China. Um, instead, they recognized Taiwan. Now you've got a situation where just like Russia and the Ukraine, you have mainland China, who for the longest time has wanted to take over Taiwan unify the country and and move on and taiwan of course has been fighting that the u.s has had for years what we would call a one china policy and that is that they would like to see it united but at the same time the united states has always been very very supportive of the taiwanese government and has vigorously opposed any efforts to take over taiwan by force from from mainland china uh because again you know, just like you don't want Russia invading Ukraine, you don't want China taking over Taiwan. So Joe Biden has decided to wade into this by saying, OK, if if China were to try to take Taiwan by force, we would intervene. We would we would get ourselves involved militarily. Now, keep in mind, Joe Biden was very, very clear that if Russia tried to invade Ukraine, that we would not send American troops to fight that invasion. Remember, no, no American troops. Now, obviously, through NATO, we've been putting a lot of resources into U- Ukraine, and a lot of that's coming from the U.S. But um, Biden is saying, look, if China decides to act militarily on Taiwan, we will, you know, do that. Um, Ty- China, for its part, just like Russia's argument about Ukraine, has always viewed Taiwan as a, a threat to its its own security interests. Um, and so, you know, this is these are kind of fighting words at a time where our relationship with China is somewhat dicey, and where with everything going on in the other part of in that same part of the world with Russia invading Ukraine. The last thing you want to do is have Russia try to invade Taiwan. But Biden says, all right, this is my line in the sand. You act militarily on Taiwan, and we are going to get involved. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
All right, so President Biden has now drawn that, that red line in the sand. It says if China were to act militarily against Taiwan, we, we would, we would come in and we would defend them. And you could argue about what that means. In other words, he's willing to say you do something, China, and we're, we're willing to get into a shooting war with you over Taiwan. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Regardless of what would be in our best interest, should something like this happen, the saber-rattling by Joe Biden, is it the right thing to do? Should he have waded into this particular controversy, and should he have committed U.S. military forces in the event that there is some military action? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so over the weekend, President Biden draws a line in the sand and says, if China moves militarily on Taiwan, um, the, the U.S. will move in and will defend, you know, Taiwan. In other words, he's saying, look, we're 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 essentially prepared to go to war if you know you try to move on Taiwan. This is kind of surprised some people because while it's entirely possible and the the concept has always been in the air that if Taiwan were to be moved on by by China uh, that that there there might be intervention from the US because we've you know we since the beginning since there was a, a Taiwan we have aligned ourselves with Taiwan here's the president actually coming out and saying we'll, we'll be militarily involved in this um I'm I guess I look at this and I just I kind of shake my head. Now and I understand where Biden is under pressure. What Biden's poll numbers are really really bad. Biden is under pressure from bailing on Afghanistan, and there's at least some concern that uh, the, the U.S. will not stand by their their allies. Again, witness what happened in Afghanistan. Having said that, if you're looking for to, to me, Joe Biden's administration has been a lot like Jimmy Carter's. I think that that's 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 pretty much what's been going on. There's been a lot to criticize. The one thing that I, I don't think you can criticize Joe Biden for, and it might be the only thing, is the way he has handled the invasion, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which to me has been let's let nato take the lead let's support nato let's work behind the scenes to try to do everything we can to make sure we put on a united front and and let's not get out front of ourselves with the saber rattling and things like that i think the um i i think that that coming out and drawing that line in the sand to me it's provocative and i'm not sure um i'm not sure that uh forget not sure i I just it was like mr president why did you feel that you wanted to do this at this particular time isn't don't we have enough stuff going on in the world as we try to you know manage you know russia's invasion of ukraine and we try to deal with all the other things that are going on in africa etc etc do we need to weigh into this at this point in time? Jeff, I don't think it was one of the wisest things that the president has ever said. We don't need to get into a shooting war with China over 
Taiwan. Um, yeah, that's it. Jeff, shortly after he said this, once again, um, the White House is trying to walk back his comments. If Biden isn't careful, he will start World War Three. Um, yes, Jeff, I don't think anybody could possibly take him serious. Secondly, I don't think he was very smart for saying this. Um, Jeff, the U.S. does have a 1979 treaty obligation around defending Taiwan's independence, but I agree with you, the Biden response could have and should have been more diplomatic, and that is, in many respects, vague. Yeah, you leave yourself your options right now as to what you're going to do and and how you're going to be saying this. Uh, Jeff, I think this would be the wrong fight for our country to get into. I think we could easily beat Russia in Ukraine. I think China would kick our butt at this point in time if we went up against them. Pardon my salty language. Well, I just, if you want to look at If you want to look at the wrong wars at the wrong point in time, I think trying to take on China over this issue, to me, is just threatening China in this regard, if you want to consider these remarks to be a threat, to me makes no sense at all. Now, if China were to move militarily on Taiwan, it may be that we decide it is in our national interest to get into a a shooting war, whatever that would look like. I'm not sure how you could necessarily justify that, but committing ourselves up front and creating this expectation that we are willing to do that, I'm not sure where that gets you. Um, Keeping the options open seems to me to be the, the best course. Now, look, I don't think... I don't think China is going to invade Taiwan. Maybe I'm going to be wrong about that. I think China was watching what happened with Russia. And if Russia had been able to, I don't know, just take Ukraine in two weeks and you hadn't seen NATO ally themselves and respond like they did, maybe that would have emboldened China. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has been, for all intents and purposes, a a complete and total disaster for Russia. I understand it's a disaster for parts of the Ukraine. I understand five million people displaced. I understand the the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of people who've who've lost their lives, and and that is terrible. But Russian aggression has not been rewarded. Uh, If anything, Russia has become an international pariah, and it's going to take them a long time to recover from that. The Russian military has been shown to be much more of a paper tiger than anybody thought they would. And now you've got all sorts of internal dissent rising in Russia because uh, they're they're, they're now they're allowing like they've dropped the age requirement. It used to be that you couldn't join the Russian military after the age of 40. Now they're they're doing away with that. Putin apparently was considering reinstituting the draft, except he was afraid that that would have completely and totally pulled out his support domestically. This has not gone well for Russia as a country. And I think China's probably looking at that and saying, okay, maybe you know we don't want to have the same thing happen to us. If Russia has succeeded in its invasion of Ukraine like they hoped and taken over the entire country in three days like they hoped they could do, maybe it would be a different tact. So I, I think China's probably going to take a wait-and-see attitude. I appreciate that the president says we want to defend an ally, committing ourselves to actually getting involved in a war with China. He might have wanted to leave himself a little bit more wiggle room. So, very glad to have you with us. I, I 
I have to admit, every once in a while, I just I look at our text line and I just kind of think, huh, what are people listening to? Jeff. Well, it's actually not addressed to me personally. It's just it's just the question. Why does 620 always go easy on Democrats, but isn't concerned about taking shots at Republicans? And I I admit, I I get a lot of feedback on stuff, but I I, I rarely get texts like this. Why are you going so easy on those Democrats and take shots on Republicans? It's kind of like, huh, what what exact program are you listening to? And would you like to look at, oh, another one of the dozen texts that I'm getting on the other side, say, there you go, picking on Joe Biden again or whatever. So I just... I, it's just it's one of the things I love about this job. You just you know people hear what they want to hear, and that's fine. Why does six twenty always go easy on the Dems, but isn't concerned about taking shots at Republicans? What exactly are you talking about, sir? Just just wondering about that. Speaking speaking of I, I guess taking shots at Republicans, the Republican National the, the Republican State Convention very very well attended in Madison over the weekend. I, I think on the one hand. Despite what you might read in some media accounts about the Republican Party being divided, it's actually, it's sort of like one of those, maybe, I think it's like one of these little family feuds where, you know, you and your your brother or you and your sister can can disagree about something, but, you know, if somebody from outside wants to criticize you, you know, beware. Um, And I, I have no doubt at all. That, you know, when the election rolls around next November, you're going to have some very, very motivated Republican voters. And I think it's that enthusiasm gap. It's the enthusiasm gap that, that frankly, really, I think, boasted, boosted Democrat candidates um, over the last, uh, you know, two uh, election cycles In, in 2018. You had very, very motivated people who wanted to, who were unhappy with President Trump. And even though he wasn't on the ballot, they wanted to go out and they were going to vote for anybody, you know, that didn't have an R after their name because even though Trump wasn't on the ballot, they could show their displeasure. And then, of course, I think the same thing happened again in 2020. I don't think it was a referendum on on Joe Biden. I don't think there was too many people who wanted Joe Biden to be the president. It was instead these people who were very, very motivated to go out and vote against Donald Trump. I I think that enthusiasm gap has kind of ended. It it is interesting because, you know, over the weekend at the Republican convention in Wisconsin, Robin Voss, who is the Speaker of the Assembly and has been one of the leading conservative proponents of conservative causes in Wisconsin over certainly the last decade or so. He was the guy that was at the tip of the spear and pushing Act 10 through and stuff. He's gotten a lot of criticism, and apparently he was at a panel conference booed when he addressed the crowd and told them that despite what some people might want or wish for or whatever, there's no legal basis to decertify the 2020 election. And apparently, you know, at a, at a panel thing at the convention, Voss made that point again, saying the law does not allow us to do this. And guess there was a resolution that was non-binding, but 36% of convention delegates voted to approve the resolution calling for Robin Voss to resign or be removed from his position as speaker because he wouldn't decertify the election. Okay, and once again, I understand that people feel passionate about this stuff, but you do need to make the point that there's no legal basis to decertifying the election. And if you think there is, my advice is, with all due respect, take the tinfoil hat off, because that's just not the way things work. 
And so maybe that's what the listener's talking about in the text line saying you're taking shots at Republicans. Having said all that, I have no doubt in my mind that when all of this is said and done, because the point I've made is if you're unhappy about some of the ways the laws were interpreted, whatever, in 2020, that the best way to change that is to get your candidates elected in 2022, which is why I think a lot of the responsible people running for office are going to be focusing less on November of 2020 and more on November of 2022. But um, Robin Voss, one of those guys, took a lot of heat over the weekend um, just you kind of look at this and say, what are people thinking? 855-616-1620, which is the Iconet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. I have the latest report that is out. And the numbers I have are, are, are a year old. So, you know, and so the, the pandemic might have influenced them a little bit. But if anything, it might have driven them up when it comes to kids. of Americans' children have a smartphone of their own by the age 11. 53% have a smartphone of their own. I'm not saying this isn't a, a smartphone. Can you use mom or dad's phone? No, I'm saying a smartphone of their own. More than half of American children by the time they hit 11. And, and what's... I mean, what's 11? Is that like fifth grade or something like that? By the time they are 16, 89% of kids have a cell phone. In other words, 9 out of 10 kids age of 16 or older have have a smartphone. And then there's other studies that are out there saying that 50% of teenagers felt addicted to their smartphones and that 59% of their parents thought that that was the case. Now, I I bring this up because I was out and about over the weekend. There were a couple different places. And, you know, one of the places we were at, there there were a number of families and stuff. And it was interesting because I would look around, and I swear, I swear, I swear, I swear, that it seemed like every kid. And I'm bad with I'm bad with ages. I mean, it's you know, I, it's tough for me to tell the difference between somebody that's you know, twelve or fourteen or sixteen or something like that. But it seemed to me like almost every kid had a, a cell phone in their hand and was using it was was using the cell phone. So I, I ask this question somewhat rhetorically. I understand that there, there there might be reasons why in emergency situations and stuff people would use cell phones. But at the same time, I, I find it difficult to believe that the majority of those 11-year-olds that have these cell phones are only using them in emergency situations. So let's tee this up. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why would you give an 11-year-old or, or, or a 10-year-old or a 9-year-old, why would you give them their own cell phone? And, and, and what, is, what is the need for it? What is the thinking behind it? I mean, and I guess, I mean, I understand sometimes people might say, well, if there was a shooting at the school, you know, we want them to be able to get in, in touch with us or in emergency situations, we want them to be able to communicate with us. But does a 9-year-old or a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old really need their own cell phone? Is there that much need that is out there that, you know, you, you couldn't communicate with the kids otherwise? And, 
given the fact that the kids who have the cell phones are, I, I doubt, like I say seriously, that that's the only thing that they are using those cell phones for. Maybe it's games or whatever. Are we raising yet another generation of people who are addicted to the stupid uh, computer screens, and are we doing them a favor? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. More than one out of two American kids under the at 11 or under have cell phones. Does a 10-year-old or a 9-year-old or an 8-year-old or a 7-year-old, do they really need their own cell phone? 855-616-1620. And are we doing them a favor by giving them their own cell phone? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the most late, the most recent numbers I have say that by the time you are 11 years old, 53% of American children have their own cell phone. Not not they're allowed to use mom or dad's cell phone, not that here, you know, you're riding in the car and you give the cell phone to the kid as a as a, like a babysitter and here you can play with it when you're out to dinner. No, they have their own cell phone. That gun number goes up to almost 90% by the time you hit 16. I guess I'm just sort of asking this rhetorically. Have we really gotten to this point in this country where a 9 or a 10 or an 11-year-old needs to have a cell phone as a matter of as a matter of course? I mean, how, how, how did we do it before cell phones? Oh, well, you want the kid to be able to get in touch with you at school. Well, okay, that's, that's fine. If there's some reason that you need to get a message to the kid while they're at school, don't you just kind of like call the school? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let's, um, okay, let's, Let's go to who? Who do you want me to take on line one? Okay, tell tell me their name. Is that is that is that Ian? Ian Ian on the north side. Good afternoon. Hello. Okay. Uh, let's try Jane in Milwaukee. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, my daughter uh, was 10 years old, and she had a smartphone, but we had, and she, we, her father and I are divorced, so she went back and forth, and so we did it for when we could call her and talk to her, and also we had an app on there called Life360, so we can always track where she was, but then she also did use it for school a lot, because now there's something called Google Classroom, and a lot of her classwork was done on her phone, believe it or not. I mean, did, did she have a laptop or a tablet or something, too? I mean, yes. Yeah, well, okay. I don't think she had a laptop when she, <laughs> okay. I don't think she had a laptop when she was that young. Okay. But, she, but she had access to it. But, yeah. you know, but the, Life 360, the, the Life 360 is nice to use because you can always know. It's literally like a tracking device without having a chip put in your kid. <laughs> that you can always see where they are live. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's nice. I got it. I guess, I mean, look, I, yeah. I mean, Jane, I, <laughs> I, that, that was funny. Jane kind of paused there. For school, yeah, she had the tap laptop or the, or the tablet. Or what? I mean, I, and a couple of people are texting me saying, "Well, okay, we're it's it's we're, we're in exactly what she was talking about. It's a divorce situation, and you know, we we need to be able to communicate and, and reach the the kids. And I, I I guess you know 
maybe in a circumstance like that, I, I get it, but that's but that doesn't account. I mean, fifty three percent of kids under the age of eleven, they're they're not products of of uh, again a, a divorced household. And I mean, if you got the money and you can afford it, I, I guess that's I, I, it, it's okay. But I, one of the concerns I have is that the kids just. If you want to tell me that the child only uses it for an emergency situation and they've got the cell phone because in, in case something happens and they get stranded at school or whatever, it's a way for the parent to communicate them. That's fine. But in the real world, I mean, I, I just I don't believe that that's the way that the vast majority of those 8, 9, and 10, and 11-year-olds who have their own cell phone use them. You know, they're they're using them to play games, and they're, they're using them probably to send text messages and things like that. And I guess the question becomes, is that really the, the best? Let's talk to Ian in Oconomowoc here on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Um, yeah, I'll give you some perspective. So I, I run a busy operation here. My wife and I both have full-time uh, busy jobs, and we have uh, a 10, 12, and 14-year-old. Um, the 10 and 12-year-olds have not been granted cellular yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 14-year-old, it, it was unavoidable <laughs> uh, just <laughs> yeah. between sports and everything else. Um, you know, things get out early or get out late, and just logistically, yeah. uh, that that's it's almost required. Yeah. Um, and the 10 and 12 year olds, I, I think we'll be doing it pretty soon. Um, and I, I did want to give one little piece of advice for some parents out there too. We, we use a, a app called Disney circle on their phones and, and you can set up, you know, screen time and where they can go and what they can access and all that good stuff. Right. Um, so do you, do you feel, do, you, do your kids, your 10 and 12 year olds, do they feel that they're like coming from an abuse, abusive household because you haven't given them cell phones yet? Oh, absolutely, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause, <laughs> yeah, cause, cause all their, all their friends have them, right? Yeah. All, all their friends yeah, have them. Oh, they do. They really do. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I, I, and it's amazing. I'm, well, it is. Now, thanks to call. Um, Ian. I mean, look, I, I, I understand. I, I wasn't making as a big deal about the 16-year-old because I, I do there, – there is a, a time where, you know, kids are, are more independent. And I understand that we don't – it's not like the old days where there were, like, pay phones and things like that. So, I, I mean, I understand by the time you're, like, in high school and stuff, there there is this need to communicate more. But at the same time – I, I mean, r- really, th- does an eight or a nine year old, you know, need to be in, in communication like that? And for the parents that have it because, okay, it's my, it's the security thing. It's the way I can track the child. I, I mean, I don't know. How did the rest of us, um, how did the rest of us survive? Um, Jeff, I have two 11 year old daughters in West Bend who do not have cell phones. My girls ask me every week when they can get one, but they just do fine without it. Most kids walk out of middle school with all their heads looking down on their phones. It's ridiculous, and I'm not giving in because they simply do not need a smartphone. We have a dedicated home landline, and I told them they can have a walkie talkie. I do believe the kids are under tremendous pressure but I'm trying to keep their minds focused on important things and not getting sucked into the peer pressure. When they need to contact me during school, they go to the office, um, school call, and they call me through the school office on their lunch hour, and it works just fine. I wish more parents had this line of thinking. Let's talk to um, Edward. Edward, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hi. Hi. What do you think? I was listening. I was listening to the camp. I'm kind of pro that uh, the kids have access to phones. I can't speak for every kid, but I know that my situation, uh, today is my birthday, so I'm 62 today. And I remember as a kid growing up in the, the late 60s, 70s, if we went out with our friends and say our friends' parents wanted to take us somewhere, we'd go to their house, get on their phone, call our parents and tell us, you know, tell them where we were or what we're doing or could we go to the movies, could we do this? And I don't think that's a bad idea either, but not too many people have landlines anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's the fact that I think it's a great idea if if children have the phones because also make a note that on the new modern phones, it's also a tracking device. So if your kid gets lost, say if it, it wanders, then what happens if, you know, they can't, you can't find them. They can't tell you where they are exactly. But how often is a they practical matter? You. But how often is a practical matter? Is is that happening? With is the nine year old going to call you and ask you if you can go to the movies and stuff? As a, I mean, as a practical matter, aren't you going to? Don't people know where their nine and ten year olds are? I understand as they get older, and you're talking about high school kids, well, but for grade school kids, well. But- well, I understand, but they, like I said, my situation was different. I don't know if your kids would still do this, but I skipped grades. So yeah. as a matter of fact, I skipped two. So I went into high school when I was 12. I graduated when I was six, 15 and a half and went into college at 16. So I'm, like I said, for me, it, I can see if you have reasonably responsible kids. And now you say, okay, a seven-year-old. It, it's, it's, it's possible that... Your seven-year-old could be playing with another seven-year-old, and the parents says, hey, I don't think your parents would mind. Well, hey, I need to call my parents first. Yeah. And at least it, it's available for them to use. It's not something where it's like, it doesn't have to be a negative, you know, like, oh, they're going to lose it, they're going to do this. You know, some kids really understand, hey, my mom wants me home at this time, or my dad wants me home by this time. And they at least have the option to call instead of saying, well, hey, can we use your phone? Well, I mean, okay. we don't have one. Well, Edward, I mean, I get, but at the same time, it's what? What would that normally? If if you're talking about a seven year old, um, okay, do you, you want to stay over for dinner? You know, you want, you know, you're. I, I'm playing with my friend Steve. I'm at Steve's house, and is you know, can Jeff stay over for dinner? Okay, well, then then typically, like, isn't Steve's mom going to call? You know, my mom and say, hey, you know, is it okay if he stays over here and stuff? I, I I'm I'm sorry. I here's here's one of the texts that kind of do this. So Jeff. I believe parents try to rationalize phone use by their children. I just think 99% of it is pure pressure, and they really don't want to fight with their kids. I think there might be something to that. And again, I'm just struck by these numbers. I understand as kids get older, and I understand cell phones are ubiquitous, and I I understand it's different than when I was a kid, and you you had things like pay phones and stuff like that. But I'm sorry, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that your typical 7- or 8- or 9-year-old needs needs to have a, a, a cell phone because, I mean, they're, they're just not on their own that much, are they? And, and if they are, maybe, you know, that's that that's an issue in and of itself. Okay, I'd love to take some more calls on this, but we're out of time. 